it didn't work how I wanted to. You know, I'd put three years of my heart and soul in something. And suddenly, I'm not getting people coming. You know, there was issues with the tech. wasn't fully working. And it really did affect me. And I'd run out of money. I'd run out of money. Hi and welcome to another episode of the Video Talks podcast where we talk to creators and commissioners and everyone in between about the business of video. So this podcast is for creators, it's for filmmakers, videographers, it's for businesses, small businesses who are starting to use video, brands who want to get better at using video and um, anyone really who wants to pick up a camera or a phone and start creating. If this is your first time here, then please hit subscribe. Really appreciate it if you could. Um, That means we can keep these episodes coming into your feed, into your podcast feed. Um, You can connect with me on Instagram at Video Talks Podcast or Andy.Greenhouse. And for any episode notes, you can go to videotalks.co where all the episodes and links are there for you. So let's get into this week's episode. This interview is split into two parts because there's so much value in it. Um, It talks to creators as well as businesses. So I've split the two uh, parts of the interview into kind of two different sections. So it really caters for both. Um, But they're both equally interesting um, and nicely digestible. So in this episode, I talk to Dennis Morrison, who is an entrepreneurial creative um, who originated as a filmmaker and studied filmmaking, editing, and then eventually kind of found his groove. So Dennis's entrepreneurial journey is pretty interesting. He originally started a production company, and then when it was pretty difficult to get work, he decided that he would create an online platform for short filmmakers. It was a mobile online platform, and this was around the mid-2000s. But it turned out that he was ahead of his time, and it didn't quite work out. But he learned from his mistakes, and he picked himself up, and he came back stronger with a new project. Now he's running a company called Audience Magnet, and he's lecturing in post-production, and he is helping people find their own stories for their businesses. So let's get into this episode, Run VT. So I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, Dennis Morrison. Dennis is a serial entrepreneur, business storyteller, and founder of Audience Magnet, which helps businesses and professionals to communicate authentically and effectively. When he's not lecturing in post-production at the London Film Academy, Central Film School or Ravensbourne University, he's helping business owners and digital creators find their own unique voice through his Find Your Story programme. Dennis has worked in the film and TV industry for over 30 years and has created branded content for companies like Diesel, L'Oreal and Red Bull. He's consulted on numerous video projects for various companies, helping them develop their video strategies and build their audience. 
He's a business mentor, marketing story strategist, and I could go on and on about how brilliant he is. Dennis, I've given our audience a bit of uh, an idea of your kind of work life and background. Could you expand a bit more about who you are and what you do? Hi, Andy. Yes. Thanks so much for having me on your show. So who, pleasure. Who am I? Sometimes that's a difficult question for us to answer, isn't it? Because we're always in ebbs and flows. But I would say, ultimately, I love helping people. I love enabling people um, through the way I know best, which is enabling people to connect with their audience, use creativity. Um, my first skill is video and video production. Um I, I kind of have been through a whole journey of starting at the bottom, working my way up and finding areas that didn't suit my personality, you know. So it's kind of um, been a journey. But I think the most important thing, one thing that stayed solid throughout is that I'm just really love story and storytelling. And this kind of started early on. So many moons ago, yes, I've been involved in the industry for 30 years. I don't look it but um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I got a job as an um, an extra on a commercial. And it was in Battersea. And I thought, oh, extra work, get paid a nice bit of money, you get fed, why not? So I went on this commercial. And it's the first time that I saw a film crew working. And I was like, oh my God, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. And since then, it's just been my my whole kind of purpose in life is working, you know, around film and video. So uh, this was many moons ago. This was, just to put it in context, this was pre-digital. So we don't have the phones that we have now. It wasn't so easy. The only way you could really get your hands on a camera was if you work for a company, you studied film, or you had loads of money. I know it sounds kind of crazy now, but that's what it was like. So I decided I want to do that. And I literally spent, I think it was six to eight months pounding the concrete in Soho, three days a week, knocking on doors, trying to get my foot in the door. Loads of no's, loads of no's. People were saying, hey, you're crazy. You're not going to get a job, you know. But I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. So eventually I did get some work. Um, I used to work on music videos um, and then I got into post-production and then I got a job at a company called VTR in Soho and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. It was like, it, it was run by business people. So really the post-production sector, the company was run by people who worked in the city. It was all about the numbers. Didn't like it at all. I was there for six to eight months and I was miserable. And then after leaving that, I said, um, I'm never working in post-production ever again. Never again. I'm only going to work for production companies. So that's when I connected with um, Framestore and many other things. I worked on commercials. Anyway, whilst working, I kind of realized I wanted to learn more. And I thought, I'm not really going to learn what I want to learn and how I want to grow just working. And I decided I needed to study film. And at the time, there was three places that did film in the whole of London, three places, you know, it's very different now. And I ended up, fortunately, LCP, which is now called uh, London LCC now, and I got through to the interviews, and I got a place. And there, I think at the time, the class was like 28 people. Um, so that really started my journey. 
I want to be a director like everyone else. I want to be a director. And then I thought, well, all these famous directors, you know, David Lean and many others, they used to be editors. There must be a reason why. Let me just copy them. And I decided to assist people on their films. Yep. So I'd sit there and this, I'm talking about 16 mil, tape to tape and stuff like that. So really that's how I got into the editing side and kind of be known more for editing, although I do the whole, all areas of production. That's a good kind of base background um, illustration. So going from being an editor um what was the next step what was the next stage i was fortunate enough to free someone i knew um be able to edit my film on a steam back so i'm i'm the last generation probably that edited film on a steam back and be taught by a guy called terry who directed who edited documentaries and dramas he's known for a lot of documentaries for the b and he taught me how to edit on a steam back you know so that was the first non-linear editor you know, after learning linear editing. And after leaving, um, I decided I'm going to start my production company. So that's what I did. And you know, pretty much, I would say anyone who gets in this business, you've decided, believe it or not, to be an entrepreneur, because you're going to be, you know, your biggest employer in terms of getting work and getting yourself out there. You know, there's no such thing as full-time work. I've never had a full-time gig in my whole life. Everything's by contracts or projects I've worked with clients or freelance gigs. So I think as an industry, um, you've made the decision to become entrepreneurial, which is a great thing. And I think a lot of times people want to kind of they don't want to take responsibility for that side of things. They want someone else to do all of that. No, especially nowadays, you must do all of this. Unfortunately, at universities or schools, film schools, they don't teach you that side of it. You know, you may be able to make a great film. You may be a great DP. You may understand light or sound, but they don't teach you the important thing is how do I package myself and what I do to show the value that I offer so that clients who have budgets want to hire me? Uh, very true. It's very true. Um, I guess for me, it's, it's, just a, it's just learning by experience and, you know, failing forward. And um, that's generally the school of life isn't it but there's not there's there's not anyone out there in education that i can well i guess there may be now i don't know maybe you can enlighten us on that um but has have things changed in education or is it still you know here are the skills that you need to be an x in the film industry or the you know a video industry or whatever um and then push you out the door without any kind of life advice i don't know or business advice what's the deal now um okay so put it in context i work at a couple of independent film schools i'm head of post-production and lecturer there and i've also and um, worked at university as well um so my honest truth is people still are not taught these fundamentals of what it's like to work in the industry they might do little bits but it's still very much about get great at this skill and the reality is many people struggle when they leave because they're great at what they do. They have supreme confidence in that area, 
But then they learn that to get a job, someone doesn't care about that. They don't care about that. So I think still, honestly, they're still a bit old-fashioned. I don't think they're as forward-looking as they could be. Now, don't get me wrong. Now, nowadays, I, mean, I think the difference is when I studied film, you went there because you wanted to make something because that's the only way you could get your hands on stuff. Nowadays, people have cameras since they're five. Yep. You know, oh, I've been editing since I've been seven, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not so much about the tech. What it is, it's about understanding critical thinking. And I think when they come, it's really about how they can analyze and break things down. It's a bit like a language. I think filmmaking, storytelling is a bit like a language. We intrinsically know the language but we don't understand why or how. We just do it instinctively. It's a bit like when we meet someone who's, where English is their second language and then we use a word and they say, what does that mean? And we're like, oh, I don't actually know what it means. And then you look the word up and you've used it in the exact correct context because you know the language, you didn't know the details of it. So I think when people go and study film and uh, don't get me wrong, you can learn this yourself online and interacting with people. It's understanding the language, you know, you understand the spoken word, but how do you structure the spoken word so you evoke the emotions that you want people to have when they watch what you do or listen to you? So how was it for you after so you'd you'd been through the period of kind of running in those post-production places and then you wanted to learn editing, etc.? Uh, what was it like coming out for you? Um, and then, you know, were there kind of hurdles to kind of get over at the time? I Okay, so I faced loads of hurdles. Yeah, I think the biggest hurdle I faced was I know so much. I know how to make stuff. I know how the process works. But I don't know how to get any work. No one's taught me that. How do I present myself? Yeah, well, I'm what are people looking for how do i write a proposal how much do i charge you know what do i need to fulfill so it was really tough it was really tough because it was like you know there's kind of two options is you do freelance and normally you're freelancing there's set rates hey you get this x amount this day for doing that if you decide to do your own thing when and, and i decided i was going to do my own thing then you're not taught any of that and it was really painful. And in the context of, you know, you end up doing work that, you know, you're not getting paid for, you're not getting paid enough, or you're kind of working. And when you work it out, you know, it, the, the minimum wage per hour feels like you're living like a king, you know, you're working so hard. I think so many people in the creative industries and video production find that, you know, they get a project, they think it's a good budget, but they haven't actually worked out what it entails and the time and energy it takes as creatives a lot of times because we haven't been because our reason for being isn't the first off is how much money can we get people who are running businesses who are more inclined for that direction they can smell the creative's desperation yeah whether we verbalize it or not and that's why you see many creatives taking on projects for low amounts of money or taking on too much for what the budget entails because they're thinking, how am I going to pay rent next month? 
Yeah, and I think that I think that was a really big challenge that I faced, and not just myself, but many others I knew as creatives. You know, we were very skilled at our skills, but we hadn't a clue about how to make that work for us as a business. So, with a saturated, potentially saturated market, um, employment market, and you know, the tendency for a lot of projects to be pitched out to all and sundry and everybody pitching at those things, you know, the pitching process has kind of gone crazy in some in some ways. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to, to people? What should they be looking at doing um, in a kind of, I guess, you know, without kind of going into too much detail, what, what should they be looking at first if they are coming out and they are literally overwhelmed by the amount of people going for certain jobs, the amount of people going for freelance gigs, um, where should they be kind of looking to to further their experience, I guess? That's a really hard question. I'm just going to give give a, give a point of view because it's really challenging. Um, I remember reading a stat probably 10, 15 years ago or something. It says like for every job in the industry, every year, five times that many are leaving with the creative skill. So it's becoming harder and harder. More and more people want to do this. You know, if you think about it, I when I studied many moons ago, there was 28 people in my year. Now, some years I have 150, 200 people. Yep, at unis, yep, who are doing that course. Some are oversubscribed. I mean, that's one of the things that I do like about um, kind of teaching and training in independent film schools is the classes are small. Yep. So I, you know, I generally we keep classes down to under 20, namely 12 even. So it's very practical, very hands-on. Um, I think when there's so many people in such large classes, I always find the interesting people are the quiet people because, you know, you don't know what's going on there. So I think when it's very big, they can be kind of shoved to the side. Um, with smaller groups, it forces people to have to interact and do the different roles. It's interesting because right now I'm just finishing off with some BA students because I had to redesign the course for them because of this whole situation um and i'd say it's tough out there it's really hard um it's not easy you know there's not one route anyone who says you this is the way to do it is saying well that worked for you unfortunately the reality is this industry even more it's very middle class and it's very european and nowadays you got to have some money because how do people get in now unfortunately They want you to be able to work for no money for three to six months. If you can afford to do that, you're part of the club. That's the reality of this industry. And when I say part of the club, if you can afford not to get paid for three months, that says a lot. Yeah, in terms of the support you've got. So I think there's a there's more lack of diversity in the industry you know why there's more accessibility of the tools the reality is there's a severe lack of diversity and i'm talking about diversity of thought of ideas of approaches that's why so many things we see are the same you know you could replace the people and you'll get pretty much the same outcome however unlike before more and more and more people want video you know online videos massive there's companies that need video to promote what they're doing. 
They don't have to be a big company, a big brand. Yeah. These are skills. These are fundamental skills that people need to have. And as I tell people, you're not learning how to do your role. You're learning the art of storytelling. You know, you can't stand out from the crowd by saying, I use a red anymore. Yeah. Someone gets a red for Christmas. Some people do. Yeah. It's actually, do you understand how to connect and communicate with people? Do you understand how to evoke emotions in them and move them to action? That's the skill you're learning. It's not about the gear. It used to be. If I had this gear, then I could get the gig. It's not about that anymore. I also tell people that it's hard to get a job at McDonald's right now. It's oversaturated. So you might as well do what you want to do and find your route in it. So not the fact that it's challenging. Everything's challenging right now. However, it's about how smart can you be to find an approach that can work for you? Okay, so in my intro, um, I mentioned you were an entrepreneur. I was just wondering at what point that entrepreneurial journey kind of began. You know, what what was your sort of first company? Oh, my first. So my first company was um, production company. Um, that's when after I'd left studying film and finding really challenging getting work and then what we did we started creating our own short kind of programs which were kind of lifestyle based programs for tv and like anything you create it i was an early adopter of technology so i bought the first tv camera that in today's money is like six grand i was seeing some the other day um so i literally bought the first titanium macbook pro that the first one you could edit on so i've always been an early adopter with um gear and so we create these lifestyle programs um and try to kind of get interest in the uk but at the time the bbc and the lights were like we're not buying anything that's recorded on dv because they didn't want it to mess up their systems which use more expensive cameras you know if you fast forward a couple of years then that was their format of choice for a long time uh, and so it was really kind of challenging on that level and what we ended up doing was um, and it covered lots of things i went to south america colombia did something in there you know a few places in europe did a a break dancing thing so lots of different things and um, ended up selling them to kind of small cable channels because um we could sell it but we face i think a big problem a lot of small companies do hey that's great can we have 24 and of course, we couldn't create 24. You know, it took us long enough just to create a few. Um, so that was my first foray. Um, again, my passion has always been kind of film and drama. Um, but when you get the skills, you think, how can I um, pay the bills and earn, earn, earn a living as well? Uh, and I'd say it was probably, I had a crazy idea in 2000. So we're going, oh, 20 years ago. Oh my gosh. So 2000, I had this crazy idea. And the crazy idea was, wouldn't it be great if people like me could get people to watch their short films? It was just a crazy idea. And I was like, oh, don't be ridiculous. How's that going to happen? But it just stuck there. It was in the back of my mind. And it wasn't until like um, 2005 where that idea came again. And kind of technology had changed. And I thought, you know what? That's what I need to do. Because I think one of the biggest challenges, actually the challenge is still there now, is distribution. You know, 
getting it out to an audience. And I realized then that, you know, if we are unable to kind of build an audience, so you can see everything's connected to what I do now, to what I've kind of always done. How can we continue doing what we're doing? And, you know, we created this because, you know, we'd like to earn a little bit of money. So that kind of spawned the idea of this kind of, would it be great if I could create a platform for people like me who are independent filmmakers, short filmmakers, who could build an audience, earn a little bit of money, you know, by getting people to watch. Um, so that was a company called Zizzle. So I created this company called Zizzle Films and Zizzle's, you know, hot and sizzling. So then I started the real journey of realizing, you know, I had this vision and this idea but I hadn't a clue where to start. I really hadn't a clue where to start. But that's what filled me. So um, I, I'm going to really truncate this story so you can get the um, cliff notes. Um, I uh, create the business plans. I thought about it. I managed to get some funding from the DTI, Department of Trade and Industry, for an innovative idea. Technology was changing, so it was possible. That was the same time where YouTube was bought for ridiculous amounts of money. There was all these online platforms. So it's really interesting. Now, to put a context to um, those who are listening, this was pre-iPhone. I know it's hard to imagine a world before the iPhone, but there really was a world before the iPhone. Um, and my whole idea wasn't just about short films, but it was watching short films on portable devices. That was phones and kind of iPods and stuff. That was the whole idea. I imagine people traveling to work, watching these snackable bits of content while they were traveling. Um, and I did a pitch in front of some VCs. So, and I was up against, there was just me. So basically it was a company of me and a couple of people who will help me now and again, thinking of the whole idea, what to do, how we're going to do it. I knew nothing about technology. I didn't even do computers at school. So everything I did was self-taught. I taught, I learned computers by editing. Yeah, so I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I started looking at new technology. There's Abism Web Services, which was really early days. And people were saying, oh, it's not going to work. It's too risky. All the top companies use AWS now. So I was really researching, doing stuff. Um, I did. Um, I was invited to do a VC pitch in Victoria. And I was up against companies that had raised 20 million. They did the orange mobile thing. Another company raised 50 million. And there was me lonesome me who, ha who wore a shirt and smart trousers that day you know pitching in front of it was i think it was it's it like a dragon's den style thing so there's a about four vcs and an audience of about 100 people and then i came up at the end and we have dennis and he's going to talk about his new mobile platform for short films so i came up stood on the stage, I looked out to the audience and we were allowed five slides. So it was, I think it was like you had five minutes to say what you want and then five minutes of questions, something like that. I looked out and suddenly I felt like jelly. My, my mouth couldn't move. I, my, my head was spongy. I thought, Dennis, what have you done? You are going to, you're embarrassing yourself. I literally was foggy. I couldn't see anything clean. I said, I, I need, I need to get focused. I need to get focused. So I turned around to look at my slides. We were allowing five slides and it was on slide five instead of slide one. And I went, Hey, a minute I said the word, Hey, it's like I came out of my fog. You know, you're on the wrong slide. So they fixed it. So I did the pitch in front of the audience. 
and I ended up winning. So um, so I used the grand to buy a laptop. And even to this day, it's odd. I've had people who've um, done lots of pitch. They keep telling me it's the best pitch they've ever seen. So I, I don't know what I did. Bearing in mind, I had five days to prepare because someone else um, dropped out. So I had to prepare it. So that was part of the journey. Then I used some of the money to get people to do the development. They completely messed me about because my attitude is I trust everyone until they show otherwise. Um, and I've got these developers and I I don't know anything about the web stuff. So I trust you. Cut long story short, the person wanted me to use some proprietary technology that they did. From my own research, I realized that and then things got sour when I started coming up with some facts and data. So that cost me money and time, wasted money and time. Then I got someone else. They said, yeah, 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 I can do it. Cut a long story short, they couldn't. It was more than they could chew. Yeah, you know, when they realized it was needed. But at the same time, I was getting a lot of attention from the independent filmmaking community, short films, about the whole idea of enabling the independent film community and short filmmakers to be able to make some money and build an audience. So I was invited to multiple film festivals, to be on panels, discuss about distribution, building your audience, invited to Cannes on numerous occasions. I even had an ad on the big screens at Cannes, you know, so this was when I was kind of really pushing out to do stuff. And what happened? I launched in the end a year later than I wanted because of the developer problems. I ended up getting some developers in India who were doing it. I was doing everything via Skype. Yeah, um, Skype chat, not video. And they were five hours ahead. And I literally, they would work when I was sleeping. Then they'll come with problems I would spend the rest of the day researching so it looked like I knew what I was talking about so they didn't take the mickey and they'll continue working. Yep. So I was literally burning the oil both ends. Yep. You know, learning stuff while I was going along about the tech saying, well, what about this? What about that? Because I realized that tech people will tell you one thing and, you know, they might tell you one thing that, oh, we can't do that because it takes a little bit more work, but they can. They might give you a choice to do something, but it's not the best choice. So I literally, I just became really good at learning quickly stuff I didn't really know and being able to communicate in a way that I had an idea of what I was talking about. Um, the, the launch got delayed and I eventually launched in 2008, the same time when we had the global recession. And it didn't work how I wanted to. You know, I'd put three years of my heart and soul in something and suddenly I'm not getting people coming. You know, there was issues with the tech, wasn't fully working, how it should have been working, how they said it was working. This was all kind of made, bespoke, all of this kind of stuff. And it really did affect me. You know, it's like, oh my God, I've, I've invested my whole, my whole soul in this. It's not working how I wanted to. It's, you know, it looks great, but it was up and some time-ish and I'd run out of money. I'd run out of money. And it was really challenging. And although we la launched when the recession started, it's not because of the recession why it didn't work. Yes, on one level, people aren't interested in short films from people they don't know. They, they're not interested in spend, spending the money. Now, the money was very low. So this is my lack of business now. And this is my kind of yeah, creative kumbaya, I'd say. I didn't want to do advertising because I didn't like advertising. Although there was an opportunities at times where I could have got advertisers involved. It's like, no, I, my thing's pure. I don't want advertising. I'm going to offer something for sale and people could buy. 
I was sharing the profit 50-50 with the creators and I was charging, what, a pound? Two pounds a thing? Now, let's do some maths. As a business, I would need a lot of people just to make enough just to keep going. So I think it was my lack of experience and ignorance on the business side, which kind of messed things up there. You know, yes, the recession did help to compound that. And yeah, I kind of took a hit. It it kind of took a hit kind of spiritually and emotionally that you invested so much. It didn't work. You know, I had film. I just want to put the context for people. Nowadays, we record something and I send you a WeTransfer or whack it in Dropbox. I had filmmakers from around the world having to post by mail their films on tape that I then had to create, digitize, and there was no iPhone, create into six to 12 different versions so it would work on 90% of mobiles. Then I had to upload that and have the technology where it could deliver it. And people used to say, look, you were a purple cow. You know, you were way ahead of your time. And I really was, but that doesn't help you when you're in the thick of it and it's not working. I can really see now that it was. And I think it taught me a lot about business a lot about myself, the struggles of making things happen when you don't have the resources, yeah, and actually doing certain things where you don't fully know how to do parts of it. So I think that was my first foray into kind of uh, entrepreneurship and doing business. I kind of did it because it wasn't about, I want to create a business that creates loads of money. It's like, I want to help people get the very thing that's missing is distribution and get people to watch what they're doing so they can build an audience so they can make more. That was my driving force, you know? So I, 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 again, that was, I'm happy that was my driving force. But in hindsight, if I had a bit more experience on the business front, I would have maybe made a few different choices. But it was a great learning experience. And you know what? I wouldn't change a thing because I wouldn't be where I am and who I am today without doing what I did. And I think the other thing was technology was changing. So, you know, it was by the time it was made, technology had improved. So it was still using slightly older technology. So there was a lot of things I learned about the tech. I learned about the web and stuff like that, which has set me up for what where I am today and what I'm doing today. Mm. Oh, well, brilliant. I mean, that's, that's you know, a, a great story of, you know, learning through doing, like, which is one of the things that we're talking about, isn't it? Would you say, uh, would you say in a, in a kind of brief way, is there any sort of formula for a successful business? And, you know, what are the elements that maybe go into that formula? If you're talking about cooking, maybe you can analogize it. Formulas are hard. Um, I, I think things work differently for different people. So uh, I would say that whatever you do is got to be congruent with who you are and who you want to be, the lifestyle that you want and life you want to have. I think they're the most important things. Um, don't be choosing something because someone else is doing it or you think that's a quick way to earn some money or stuff like that. It's got to really be fit into your life and lifestyle. It's Think about in three years' time, if everything that I desire happens, would I still be happy to do it? And I think that that would be my formula. It's it's about what do I want from life? You know, if if 
for example, your free time is important, you need to design a business that enables you to do that. So that's my formula. I like it. That, interestingly, um, on episode 12, um, I spoke to a, a filmmaker called Tom Middleton, who managed to kind of seem to, he seemed to find that balance, that work-life balance and build a successful lifestyle business as well. So that's that's a good that's a good um, episode to listen to episode 12 on the video talks podcast little plug we're talking it's just you know we're talking kind of like i don't know we're in this after lockdown maybe there's going to be another lockdown this is this seems like a very relevant question how important is the workplace environment for you um and as tech changes and you know obviously there's been an influx of zoom meetings and you know virtual working home working remote home working the, the world is changing overnight etc what relevance does the workplace environment um have on on you know successful businesses i guess do you think personally i'm not the kind of person who likes the routine of going up and traveling across london and going to the same place every day that's not how i want to live my life you know, I do it. I have done it. When I have to do certain things, yes, I might have to get up at 6.30 in the morning, but that's not what I choose for my life. So that it comes back to what do you want for your life? And it doesn't mean there won't be times where you have to do it. Um, so in terms of work environment, as a freelancer running my own business, I haven't had the, apart from a few consultancy gigs that I've done over the years, I really haven't had that office culture. And when I have is loads of people are miserable, you know, so that, you know, so again, I want everyone to focus on what's the life that you want, just because it was like that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be. You know, you can carve your own kind of way. Now, in terms of the new changes, I think lots of changes. I think there's some stats that, especially in the UK, um, people are happy working from home. And I feel that loads of offices are going to close. They become residential places over the next three to five years because bigger companies are thinking, why am I shelling out all this money for this space when we don't really need it? Um, people are finding a better home life balance and people are more productive. I've always been for the last 15 years, I've been an advocate of people should be able to work from home and do their own thing. I feel that companies didn't allow people because it's all about control. Yep. I can't trust you to do work. I want to control your day because I'm paying you. I've never been an advocate of that at all. It's about results. It's only about results. There's also stats prior to um, yeah, prior to um, um, Corona, which show that people who work from home actually are more productive and produce more work because they want to show that they're working. So I think the challenge now is people finding that happy medium. I'm all for we can connect digitally but that's only a way of connecting with people i'm all for projects so again as a freelancer you're very project work you're in with a group of people and then you're not i think that's where a lot of creatives who's you know, have found it challenging and can find it isolating i think communities are really important communities of like-minded people who are aspiring to similar things to you are important so you don't feel alone you can have conversations and talk about things that i don't know maybe the people who are close to you there's certain conversations you can't have because they just don't get it 
Yeah, and I think we need to stop. And I, I think as creatives, a lot, we feel like we are isolated. There's not many people like us. You know, we work things, loads of us, then we're by ourselves. We need to find ways where we can kind of forge connections with people who are like us, but who have different skill sets because then we can work on projects and create projects which pulls on all these different skills so i think one of the challenges um, that creatives face is they're too stuck into what they do and think that's enough it's not enough nowadays it's not enough yep so a classic example is i do video i only want to do video okay great but someone says, I do video and I understand how to do Facebook ads. Who would you hire? You're going to hire the person who could do both if you want to do the ads. So we need to leverage our skills. This is where video is so great. Now, I'm going to um, tell you right now, anyone who wants to create an amazing business that they can create from home yep, and create repeat business. So here's a massive, massive tip for you creatives out there. There are many companies out there who are doing ads right now. And you know what they're weak at? They're weak at the creative. This is your opportunity to create a business that consistently creates content for them. So they don't have to think about that side of things. There are so many opportunities out there. You just got to think differently. You know, stop chasing the big brands with these big budgets. Yep. You want to look for companies who aren't big, who still have decent budgets and find ways you can build retainer pricing within that. So that's my tip of the day. Nice work. Um, you mentioned there how creators should connect with, um, with businesses and potential new clients. Have you got, uh, have you got kind of tips for them, uh, how they do that? and um you know how they can market themselves possibly okay so um that's a great question and again um i actually created this framework so i'm just going to briefly run through it that people could find really useful in doing that um and it's broken up into six phases so the first phase is strategy so this is you know looking at the vision resources and time frame, goals and objectives, and approach and differentiation. Now, the key as creatives, each phase, you want payment afterwards. Now, what do we do as creatives? And I've, I've been guilty of this for many years until I learned this, you know? And again, I learned this by going to an amazing workshop where someone who'd been working for an agency asked us a question as creatives, and we said, hey, we need an idea. What should we do? And all of us started brainstorming what we can do. As creatives, our IP is our brain. Yep, our ideas. Yep. People come to us as creatives because they don't have ideas. They don't have them. But we give them out like it's candy and then wonder why they get their mate to finish it off because we've given them all the goodness. The other thing that I found is, especially business people, they like systems. And as creators, we're a bit freeform. So we meld it all into one, yeah? So by creating this system, you can say, hey, this is how we work. We're going to do the strategy first and then you build them for that section. Now, why is it important that you build at the different phases? Because you don't care if they get someone else to do it. If you devise a strategy for them and they pay you and they get someone else to do it, you don't care, you got paid. 
for that part of the of the process. Then you've got the creation side of it. So you build them for that. Then if you're part of the distribution, you'll do that. You'll work out how you're going to build them. You know, so you've got an engagement. You know, if you're doing that, you'll build them there. Then if you're into the analytics of it, you're going to measure it and have tools in place. And then you're going to find what are the ways that I can use that analytics to, to build them. Then we're going to have the adjust phase. Yeah, we're going to look at the data. We're going to analyze it and we're going to make some adjustments so we can follow the cycle again. Yep. So within that, you can bill at various stages because these are kind of deliverables and milestones. Now, this is important because that means you're not attached to the project in that emotional way. You want to do the strategy and get someone else? Cool. Use what I've done. Yeah. You want me to do the strategy and create? Cool. What's all this? That's fine. But what we do is we explain all of this in one go. And then they disappear. And we're like, I thought we were getting on. I thought they liked me. And they did like you a lot. But, you know, you spilt too many beans all at the same time. Wise words. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have been burnt by ideas that they've given people on the basis. So, I mean, I remember we we had a, we did exactly that. I mean, we we had we when we were a little bit green and fresh, we gave we basically met somebody at a um, at a conference uh, when we were promoting. We had a stand at a, at a conference, and somebody from a fashion label came along. And then we made this connection and we sent them loads of tons of ideas for free <laughs> on a document, on a PDF document. And they were great ideas. And we thought, surely they'll get in touch if they like these ideas and we can make them, right? <laughs> um, weirdly, they never did. And, you know, I stopped looking to see if they were using any of the ideas because I didn't want to feel, <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to feel that pit of my stomach go, ah. Oh, how what how stupid are we um because we thought we were being like you know nice and kind but they you know when you're talking about business there often there are people who will take advantage possibly and the thing is a lot of times is some people who were taking advantage know what they're doing but there's many who were doing it but they're not doing it on purpose they think that's what you do so it's about you structuring it in a way think oh that's how you work so you know there are people who do it on purpose but there are people who think okay well i don't need you anymore yeah it's, it's we do the same thing don't we you know we, we we go to the supermarket you know and if the shop next door is offering the same thing a bit cheaper eight times out of tens we'll say i might as well get it from there so we just say so we've really got to think about what we do and again we're not trying to hide anything we're it's about us creating a process where we feel confident to talk about the phase that we're in and obviously that that kind of hopefully creates a confidence in the potential client um, about transparency, about everybody knowing where everybody is on the same page. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think what's as well really exciting, I mean, it's, I think there's something about us as creatives that businesses are realizing that we are the secret source. They always thought that we're the after decision. We do the business stuff and then we get the creatives in. We are the secret source. 
because we're the ones that create the content where people engage or take an action. We are so valuable in the chain and businesses are starting to realize that with all these different platforms and, and social media platforms that are about. It's about content tied in with understanding the psychology of how to connect. That's where the power is. Just bringing it back to um, marketing yourself, not yourself, but if if I am a creator, how do I market myself? Um, have you got one kind of like one secret tip you can give people? I don't know if I've got a secret tip. What I can say, you definitely need to have an online presence, a website. Yeah, um, and actually, the big tip is your website's not about you; it's about them. No one cares about how many awards you've done. And look at me, I'm so great. They care about how can you make their life easier and how can you make them look like a rock star? Great advice. Yeah, really good. So as I said at the beginning, this interview is split into two parts. So if you'd like to check out the second part of this interview with Dennis Morrison, just go to episode 14 or you can find the show notes on the same page as this episode, which is Video Talks co forward slash 13. So in part two of this interview, Dennis delves into how brands and businesses can use video to tell their stories, which ultimately connect with their audience and help them keep their customers engaged. So if you haven't done so, please subscribe so you can get part two straight into your feed. And... I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.